Tonight we're going to continue in our study, Why a Baptist. In our study, uh, we are looking at what a Baptist is. We're looking at what a Baptist believes uh, with the mission of understanding uh, why we are this, if we truly are this, and really if it even matters. And so that is our mission, that is our goal. Now remember from the very onset, from the very start, uh, we stated that our goal is not to be a Baptist or really any other denomination, but our goal is to be a New Testament follower of Jesus Christ. So this study is not to recruit people to be uh, a Baptist. We're not trying to line up with some belief set uh, that would make us a Baptist, but our goal is to be a New Testament follower of Jesus Christ. That's what we desire. Uh, that is what we seek. In our study, we have now moved uh, into a section called Baptist distinctives or beliefs that Baptists uh, hold in common. Now, what that means is if you were to ask, so what is a Baptist or what do Baptists believe? These uh, are the things or these are the distinctives that we hold in common. So really, these are the core beliefs uh, that we hold to as uh, Baptist Christians. Uh, we started this section last week, last Sunday night, uh, with the first Baptist distinctive, uh, which is that we believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, sufficient Word of God. It is the testimony to and of Jesus, its subject and hero. Uh, we saw that in all things of faith and practice, we defer to or we submit to the Bible. Very simply, we saw last Sunday night that Baptists, uh, we are a people of God's Word. We trust it. Uh, we study it, we defend it, we stand on it, and then we proclaim it. That is what we preach. As Baptists, uh, we are people of God's Word. Well, tonight that brings us to uh, the second Baptist distinctive, uh, which is known as the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer. Now, let me explain that to you. Uh, it means as Baptists, we believe each believer, each follower of Jesus Christ has direct access to God and has equal footing before God. Let me say that again. It means that we believe that each follower of Jesus Christ, each individual believer has access, direct access to God and has equal footing before God. We, meet, we need no mediator. Uh, we need no go-between uh, except Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, talking about a believer, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Let me read that again, First Peter 2, 9. But you, believers, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for God's own possession. Now, let me explain all of that if I can tonight. In the Old Testament, God called and he ordained priests. Uh, he established the office of priest, the role of priesthood, of, of priests. He established the priesthood. That was his plan. Uh, they came actually from a dedicated tribe, uh, the, the tribe of the Levites. The priests would come out of that tribe. Uh, in the Old Testament, we find and we read that the Old Testament priests, uh, they led the people to worship. That was part of their role. That was part of their duty. They would lead the people to worship. 
Uh, we know they in the Levitical law that they offered the many sacrifices uh, to God on behalf of the people. And so there are these prescribed offerings, these prescribed sacrifices. Well, the priests are the ones that carry that out on behalf of the people, making an offering to God. Now, we also know that they represented men, represented people to God. And so uh, what they did is they served as a go-between or they served as a mediator between sinful people and their holy God. That was their role. That was their duty. That was the office that, that God gave to them. That system was by God's design. Now, where the Old Testament prophet would speak from God to people, uh, the priest represented people to God. And so those were the two offices that were operating in the Old Testament. The prophet would take uh, the message from God, given to him from God, and speak it to the people. The priest uh, represented the people to God. Well, here's what happens. When Jesus comes, he comes, the Bible tells us, as the final high priest. He is our go-between. He is our mediator. Uh, remember the, the account at the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, when Jesus dies, the veil of the temple is torn in two. Uh, that veil in the temple separated the Holy of Holies, which represented the place where God dwelt, and the outer courts, the place where the people were or where the people dwelt. And so at the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, the, the curtain between the two is torn. And so that separation is removed. Uh, with that event, the office of priest ends forever. Uh, our priest is Jesus. This priesthood in the, in the Levitical line ends uh, forever. Again, Jesus now becomes our final priest, our final high priest. Here's what all that means. For New Testament followers of Jesus, there is no office of priest. Now, let me carry that one step further. In the New Testament Christian church, therefore, there is no office of priest. There is no such thing in New Testament practice. And so if you hear of a church that has a priest, uh, they have deviated from what we find in New Testament Scripture. Uh, in the New Testament, in the Christian church, there is no role of priest. There is no office of priest. Also, I want to say this, and we have to be careful of this. Also, be sure uh, as we discuss that, as we try to understand that, a pastor is not a priest. Uh, sometimes that is misunderstood. Uh, sometimes that is misapplied. I think back one time I had a person, and they had a list of things they didn't like about how I was leading. And so they came and they told me, do it this way. This is how it should be done. This is what we want you to do. Uh, I listened to that. And then they said the reason they were telling me that was because of the priesthood of the believer. And I remember thinking, there's a lot of reasons to tell me the things you don't like, but, but one of them is not uh, the priesthood of the believer. Uh, what they didn't understand is this. I was not their priest. And what they did not understand is they were not my pastor. <laughs> Those were two different ideas, two different things completely. So... That is the reality. That is the truth. So what does that mean? The office of priest 
has ceased in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. He is our high priest. He is our mediator. He is our go-between. So what does that mean for us uh, as New Testament people trying to follow Jesus as prescribed in the New Testament? What does that mean for us? Tonight I'm going to show you three things. It's interesting how uh, everything in my life comes in three things. There's three things for everything. Well, tonight we're going to see three things that that means. All right. First thing that it means is this. As believers, you have access to God and a go-between in Jesus. That's what that means. Understand that. Be sure of that. As a believer, you have access to God and a go-between in Jesus. Now, what that, what that looks like in practice is, so therefore, you confess your sins to God. Uh, there's no person that you have to go confess your sins to. There's not a place that you have to go to confess your sin. You have access to God. Your go-between is Jesus, and so therefore, you confess your sins to God. It means you talk to God. Uh, you need not some person to facilitate that. There's not a saint that that has to run through. You go directly to God. You need no one to do that. It means there is no one who can do it better than you. Uh, there's nobody that has God's ear uh, in, in, a, in a better way than you do. There's nobody has a better position to do that. And so there's no person, no hierarchy to go search out, uh, no person that you have to go find. Uh, you, you speak to God directly, nobody to go through. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says this, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and add verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all. You'll see why that's important in a moment. 1 Timothy 2, 5, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all. For all. Another verse, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so again, there's no person we have to go through. We go to Jesus. We confess our sin. We repent uh, before Christ. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, there are several other verses we could look at. In fact, I would encourage you, if you go and read the book of Hebrews, now that is explained to us in great detail. Our mediator is Jesus. Our high priest, uh, the priesthood ends in the death of the last priest. Uh, our priesthood now goes through Jesus. And that is explained in the book of Hebrews in great detail. So the first thing, as a believer, you have access to God and a go-between, a mediator, in Jesus, all right? That's the first thing that that means that we hold to as Baptists. Second thing is this. As a believer, you have equal footing before God. Let me say that again. As a believer, we have, you have, equal footing before God. Again, nobody has a better position than you do. Sometimes we think, well, I need to go find them. Uh, they have a better position. Nobody, no person has an elevated position. Uh, there is no one who has God's ear any more than you do. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we come in equal footing before God. Now I want you to think about that for a second. 
the idea of a priesthood, if you move into the New Testament church and you bring the idea of the priesthood forward, if you try to, to establish a priesthood in the Christian church, here's what that does. That carries uh, with it or it makes positions of status. And so if you bring the, the priesthood into the Christian church, uh, there are now positions of status. We have this person, and they're high, but you know what? Over that person is this person, and over that person we get up to this person, and then we get all the way to this guy that, that lives in Rome. Um, it starts a position of status. Uh, it, it, it has a person that we have to seek out and address God through that person. Well, listen to this. Understand this. That does not exist in the Christian church. We do not go to elevated people or elevated men. We go directly to God himself. Jesus is our mediator. As believers, you have equal footing before God. Praise the Lord for that. That's why Paul said, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28, for you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the common denominator. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We have put on Christ. Verse 28. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Now, there is no status. There are no elevated people. We are on equal footing before God. All right, the third thing that it means is this. First, you have equal access to God. Second, you have an equal footing before God as a follower of Jesus Christ. And the third thing is this, and I think we like those first two, but sometimes we forget about or we neglect this third one. And so therefore, this third thing holds true, and that is this. Therefore, you are responsible for your own worship. Now, the priesthood is gone. Jesus is our high priest. We go through him. So therefore, you yourself as an individual, you are responsible for your own worship. You seek to praise God. You express your heart to God. You repent of your sins. That's an act of worship uh, before God. Uh, you offer the sacrifice of praise to God. You offer the sacrifice of your life lived out to God. Uh, it means your worship is yours. Uh, your wife can't worship enough for your family. You can't worship enough for somebody else. Your parents didn't worship enough for, for you. Uh, you have to do it yourself. Uh, the, the priesthood is gone, and so your worship is now yours. There's not going to be somebody that gathers up the stuff and goes uh, to the altar, to the mountain, and does it for you. You have to do it yourself. He saved you, so you worship him. You're responsible for your own worship. All right, there's one last part of this, priesthood of the believer. That's a pretty good explanation, I believe, of the priesthood of the believer, but there's one last part of this uh, that's sometimes counted as another Baptist distinctive uh, separate from the priesthood of the believer. Uh, I believe it is part of the priesthood of the believer, 
And so I put it under that. Now, you can go back and look at uh, Baptist documents, and they may separate it out. Uh, I believe it's part of the priesthood of the believer. This thing is this. It's called individual soul liberty. Sometimes it is called individual soul competency. Individual soul competency. Uh, Baptists believe this, uh, so much so that sometimes it's counted as its own distinctive. Uh, Baptists embrace this. I believe it's part of the priesthood of the believer. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to this. It is the belief that each individual person is fully competent to either accept or reject Christ and therefore is without excuse before him. Let me say that again. This is the belief that each person, each individual, they are fully competent to either accept the good news of Jesus Christ, the truth of Christ, or reject the truth of Jesus Christ. And therefore, each individual is without excuse before him. Because of that, each person is individually accountable to God. Because we have that, each person is individually accountable to God. The outflow of that is this. You will make the decision to follow Jesus Christ in faith, or you will not, but it'll be your decision. You'll make that decision. Uh, it will not be your parents. It will not be part of a collective group. Uh, there won't be a group in mass that says, we have come and we have made that decision. It's not because of your lineage. It's not, well, they came from this family, and that's what they believe. It's not because of your lineage. It's not because of a covenant that God has with your parents. Hey, you know what? They've accepted Christ. Well, their kids must be saved because of the decision that they made. It doesn't work like that. It is not forced by the government. It is not forced or pressured by an army. You make the decision to follow Jesus in faith or not, so therefore you are accountable. Now, for that to be true, hang on here. For that to be true, it means, listen very carefully, God gives the freedom and the ability of all people to know and to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. For that to be true, uh, you have, you, you're going to do it. You're gonna, it's going to be your choice. But for that to be true, God gives the freedom and the ability of all people to know and respond to the gospel. Let me put that in a simple sentence. God gives us the free will, ability to make choices. God gives us the, the free will, ability, the ability to make free will choices. Therefore, you're accountable. Now, just think about that. If you had no choice, doesn't make sense. It'd have to be a twisted up system to hold you accountable. You couldn't do anything but do that, or you couldn't do anything but not do that. That'd be a weird thing to say, well, you're accountable for the thing you could never do. This is actually a Baptist distinctive. Let me read some verses to you. You may have heard them before. I hope you have, but I'm, let me read you some verses, and I want you to listen for some key words they are going to keep repeating. Here, here's a verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever 
believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Listen to this. He who believes in him is not judged. Listen to this. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and the men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. It is by belief. It is a choice to believe. Let me tell you something. You may have, you may have noticed this. You may have not. But I'm going I'm to tell you this so you can, so you can have it in your, in your toolbox. Today, there is a revisionist history of Southern Baptists, of Baptists, being promoted. There is a revisionist history. And so there are some, and they are going back, and they're trying to say, well, this is not the history. This is not the understanding. And they're changing this. It tries to downplay this truth. This is a truth that has been embraced by Baptists, uh, and they are changing that. It is done by changing the language, by changing the meaning of the words, or by leaving the words out entirely. It is being done by Calvinistic or Reformed people. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to the Baptist faith and message of 1925. 1925, uh, our Baptist convention sat down and said, we need to put to pen these things that we believe, not as a creed, but just as, as, a, as a pinning out of what we believe. This is the Baptist faith and message from 1925. I want you to listen to these words. The blessings of salvation are made free to all by the gospel. It is the duty of all to accept them by penitent and obedient faith. Nothing prevents the salvation of the greatest sinner except his own voluntary refusal to accept Jesus Christ as teacher, Savior, and Lord. Listen to that sentence again. Nothing prevents the salvation of the greatest sinner except his own voluntary refusal to accept Jesus Christ as teacher, Savior, and Lord. That was written 98 years ago. Here's the deal. Baptists traditionally, historically, believe that God gives the man the freedom and the ability to choose or to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, therefore making each person accountable. We believe that. That is our tradition. That is what we hold. Now, this is on the internet tonight, so I want to say this. If it may seem that I preach frequently against Calvinism or Reformed theology or the doctrines of grace, let me just tell you this, and I want it where everybody can hear it. I preach the truth of God's Word, which is opposed to Calvinistic Reformed theology or the doctrines of grace. Now, you can send your hate mail to me later some other time. 
As Baptists, listen, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. We believe nobody's on better ground than any other person. We believe there's no hierarchy we have to go through. We believe we have the perfect high priest and the perfect mediator and the Lamb of God who died, paid, propitiated for the sins of all people. And our go-between is not a church. It's not a closet with some guy sitting in it. It's not some hierarchy of people. We go to Jesus Christ. And each of us have the ability to choose to reject or accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, therefore making each person accountable. That's what Baptists believe. Sounds like a sermon. <laughs> I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. We're going to stop right there tonight. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for your word that leads us. And I pray, Lord, for a measure of humility and that we wouldn't come and think we know something, but that we would search out your word. And I pray we would be built upon your word and corrected, shaped according to your word. And if there's a belief that's not yours, that's not imparted by you, not a truth of you, I pray that we would, we would see that, that we would run from that, that we would turn on that. But I pray, Lord, where you have spoken and where that is your truth, that we would stand on our two feet and we wouldn't shrink back. And Lord, I'm thankful that you are just and you're fair and you're kind and you're gracious. And Lord, I'm thankful that we have the gospel of good news, the gospel of your grace, by which a sinful person can be saved. I praise you for that. Lord, we come tonight and just tell you, we're again thankful for this day. We praise you for it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.